Hi, and welcome back to another edition of Lift and Tilt Podcast. We're a material handling podcast that focuses on the issues facing the material handling, supply chain, manufacturing, and uh, basically the industrial industries um, kind of the world over. Uh, I'm your host, Kurt Gunner, and I'm joined by my lovely wife and co-host, Mandy. And uh, those of you who've listened to the show before know that we kind of take a, a different approach to, to how we, we talk about these. Uh, we typically do that over a, a glass of, uh, of wine or a uh, craft brew or some type of adult beverage. Uh, today's no different. Uh, we are actually uh, drinking a uh, 2018... Uh, Red blend. Yeah, Cabernet from uh, called Unshackled, and uh, it's from the makers of the Prisoner wine, which we've uh, we've talked about on previous episodes. Now, uh, this wine, like I said before, is uh, primarily uh, Cabernet, uh, but it does have a little bit of Petite Syrah and Merlot mixed in with it. Uh, it's fourteen point five percent alcohol by volume. Uh, it's aged ten months in uh, New French and American oak barrels. Um, and it's sourced primarily uh, from uh, several different areas, uh, some out of California and some out of uh, um, uh, the north, uh, uh, central and north coast of California. Um, so we're going to take a taste and kind of let you guys know what we think about it. Um, first off, I'll say it, it's not as smooth as The Prisoner. Um, it uh, it has some of the same flavors, but doesn't have that same kind of softness and and smoothness that comes with some wines. Um, there's a little bit it's a little bit drier and um, doesn't have quite that kind of uh, like I said soft mouthfeel or kind of smoothness that you get. Um, I'm assuming probably if you aged it for a little bit longer, uh, you know that may you know may change kind of the complexity of it or whatever. Sure. But uh, as we've talked before, you know we're we're very novice wine drinkers. We've only been doing it for a couple of years, um, and uh, you know I, I would drink it out of red solo cup. You know. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm no. one of those types of people. So, um, you know, anything I say, take with a grain of salt. Um, you know, the best way for you to find out whether or not you enjoy it or not is uh, you know to purchase bottles and, and uh, you know, or glasses at, at restaurants. Find out if it's something that you enjoy. Um, this is probably wouldn't be one that I would recommend uh, to other people. There's lots of other wines out there that we've previewed before on the uh, on the show that uh, I, I think would, would probably be uh, something I would recommend first. Yeah. All right, moving on. What are we talking about today? Um, we're talking about smart manufacturing. Uh, you know, what what is that? What 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 makes up smart manufacturing first off and two who's it for um i think kind of that you hear smart manufacturing um and uh typically people think well i'm kind of a small business a family-owned business or a middle-sized mm-hmm. business that's not for me that's not what we do here we've been making right. widgets this certain way for 30 years right. 50 years whatever it might be um that's for the big guys um and what's kind of interesting and we'll talk about it is this approach to smart manufacturing actually uh, kind of got its start in Germany, and it was from small family-owned German uh, kind of medium-sized industrial enterprises, um, and and that's where this all started. It wasn't at these huge conglomerates or what have you. Now it's made a lot of news, you know, recently because you have all these big companies that are looking at, you know, how can we save money? How can we be more efficient with what we're doing? And uh, it's being 
uh, implemented at a much higher rate uh, sure. than, than at the small, smaller firms. But that's not where it originally came from. It was a way for small companies who uh, whose margins were much, much smaller and much tighter to be able to continue to be profitable and continue to grow and compete against larger manufacturers. So let's get that misconception uh, you know, out of the way right off the bat. If you're a smaller company, uh, a medium-sized company, you can do smart manufacturing. Now, what is smart manufacturing? It's kind of a, a nebulous term. You know, mm-hmm. you, it means a, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Right. My understanding of what really smart marketing is really comes down to is your approach data-driven? Right. You know, are you collecting data for how you're doing things? Are you using that to influence how are you producing it right. so that you can do it uh, bigger, better, faster? Mm-hmm. Cheaper. Right. <laughs> And, um, you know, there's there's other misconceptions that go out here with kind of this, you know, smart manufacturing, it's expensive. How can we do that? Um, to, to gather data is actually fairly cheap. Um, there's lots of sensors that are out there that can be retrofitted to yeah. legacy equipment. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talked about um, Amazon Web Services Panorama where you can, uh, you know, connect it to... Uh, cloud-based cameras that you already have. Right, use the machine learning. Yeah, and use machine learning, and it'll you know it'll count things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how many widgets were produced on this line, how many had defects. Right. Um, there's a lot of things that you can gather from that, so you can find out like, well, which line is producing the most? Right. Why is this group um, more efficient than everybody else? Right. And then taking what you learn from that and implementing it in to the rest of your business. Yeah. You know, if this this line is producing more um, with fewer defects, right. what is it that they're doing different? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, in this particular article that we read through that it says that kind of the implementation of the smart learning, um, I guess, sensors or system that it continues to allow with the operations team, which I thought was pretty interesting because mm-hmm. they're the ones on the line, they're the ones, you know, making the widgets and supervising the widgets and all that stuff. So it makes a lot of sense to have have the data and kind of the implementation ownership lie with them because they are, in fact, the ones that are utilizing it. So I thought that was, in my opinion, very, <laughs> very smart. Yeah, well, I mean, it comes back, you know, lean manufacturing for, uh, you know, a lot of years has been about decisions being made, like you said, by the people that are actually doing the implementation. It's not about, um, you know, the guy that's uh, in charge, the CEO that that has never been on the line making a decision and saying, here's what we're going to do. Right. Um, and I think, you, you know, a lot of companies have kind of bought into that uh, and, and utilized that type of uh, a manufacturing process. Um, but it also is a, a way to reduce the barrier for entry for smart manufacturing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it talked a lot about the fact that you don't need uh, heavily invested in uh, IT personnel no. or um individuals that uh you know analytics teams and what have you um a lot of this stuff is point and click now drag and drop you don't have to be overly technical to do it Mm -hmm. um and that to your point the people that should actually be able to look at this information and make a decision on how it affects operations are their operations people right 
So um, I, I think it, it was, uh, like I said, it, it was a good point to be made. And again, uh, it talked a lot about the fact that it's not really that expensive uh, in the grand scheme of things to implement these types of no. systems. Um, one of the other things that it talked about was um, how do you how do you calculate return on investment? Right. You know, again, particularly with smaller family-owned businesses, mid-sized enterprise companies. Again, margins are tight. It's not like you can spend a lot of money and then hope and pray that it works. Yeah. You but need it's, to know. <laughs> yeah, you need to know that this is going to work, that it's going to be profitable for your company, um, and it's going to, to lead to, to bigger and better things. But they said that that was really kind of what was unique about the fact that this was implemented by these German companies mm-hmm. is because that when these usually these smaller companies, when they go in to do an implementation, you know, they don't have a big of a budget, a big of a pocketbook. And so they're not going in and revamping their entire manufacturing process. Right, it's strategic on their part. Right, they don't have they have limited resources, so yeah, they're they're going in. Can't do start to finish. They have to focus on certain areas. Right, they go and look and say, well, you know, where's the place that we can have the biggest bang for our buck? What's the low hanging fruit? Right, and they go in and they use this in that area, Mm -hmm. Um, and then when it works out, they find the next area and they go to that. Yep. Um, and any guy, anybody that's listened to the podcast, you know, Robert and I talked about this on the first or second episode, that if you're looking at doing automation or any of those things, that should be how your approach is. Don't try to, like, just go from start to finish all at one time because uh, what's going to end up happening is you're going to invest a whole bunch of money, and then you're going to find out about the problems that you didn't even know you had after the fact. Right. <laughs> not cost effective. No, not at all. So, you know, you got to be focused on being agile, having a cautious approach to your investments. Um, and, you know, kind of a starting point, if, if that's what you're looking to do as a small company, you're, you're interested in this, this smart manufacturing, you're interested in automation, you're interested in all of those things, start small and start gathering data. Yeah. The data is going to tell you where the problem is. Right. It's going to identify, you know, we're spending more on labor cost in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're spending more on um, quality control because we're finding out in this one line or this one area, right. this is where all our problems are. Mm-hmm. It's going to tell you where you should put your dollars and invest them to get the biggest return on investment for what you're doing. And it doesn't cost you very much to implement these types of systems. Yeah, I thought the other interesting uh, comment that they made in the, the article was, how folks are using it to build quality into the process instead of, you know, if you think about quality checks, generally that's at the end. You right. know, like it used to be. It used to be, you know, you would build out the whole entire unit, it would get to the end, it would go through quality check process, and then if there was any defects, it would have to you'd have to rework it. Yeah, tear it down to start over. It down, rework it, rebuild it. So I I think it's really smart and interesting too that they're they're saying you know build the quality in during the process like don't wait till the end to find the defect like make sure you're in this particular article they're talking about they're they're running lines with the expectation that they have zero defects because they're catching them early or early and continuing to build as they fix it you know along the way so yeah and you have to build that into your ROI mm-hmm. how much it's it's not only how many uh, how much less inputs you're having in terms of dollars. But 
what does it mean to you if you were to able to reduce your defects by one to two percent? Right. Like, not only in the fact that you're not having to do rework it, but opportunity cost. You know, what can those people be doing yeah. that instead, instead of, of rebuilding, rebuilding something that you broke? Yeah. So, you know, think about those opportunity costs that, you know, that's a big source of, of cost savings just simply because labor is always your your biggest cost. Right. And if you can save that and those opportunities become available to work on being productive and producing something that's making you money, mm-hmm. um, that that's a huge utilization for your company. So how... How do you kind of go to the the next step? If, if we we're looking at how we're going to uh, go in and, and gather this data, and then what are we going to do with it? Um, you know, you're, you're building in that quality. You're doing all of those things. Rapidly changing customer requirements, uh, you know, are key to kind of remaining competitive. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, kind of the Internet of Things, these are all kind of enabling components to allow your business to be a little bit more um, uh, to respond quicker. Right. Because if you can identify the problem sooner, you can fix it sooner. Right. Um, all of those tools are, are out there. You, you can go. There's a lot of companies. Uh, Amazon Web Services has a lot of them uh, that you can go out there that they can help you set your business up with doing some type of machine learning, um, integrating some of your systems with your warehouse management system Mm -hmm. or uh, with your uh, production system, whatever it might be, uh, so that they're talking together, so that that data is not in silos, um, that, you know, one group knows about it, but the other doesn't. Right. Um, I mean, I've even heard where people uh, using their website to take orders Mm -hmm. that they have artificial intelligence or machine learning that's looking at what is being looked at on the website. Mm-hmm. Wow, there's a big influx in this widget. We're going to be able to predict based off of that that there's going to be more orders for that. Right. So we need to switch production around. Um, and it just uh, it, it's kind of like Moneyball, but with manufacturing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody's looking at it and making better forecasting models, better predictions. Um, and and if you're not ready to to move to Again, the artificial intelligence and machine learning items out there, that's okay. But we do need to start looking at how are we going to gather this information so that we can feed that into artificial intelligence or machine learning at a later date. So wherever you're at along this process, uh, that's okay. Right. You know, you, it's not all or nothing. Right, right. It's very gradual. It can be very gradual. Um, and, and gathering all of that information is going to give you um, ability to take advantage of, you know, flatter structures, your proximity of your production process, uh, ability to focus, you know, um, better defined applications. All of this information you gather is, is going to tell you, like, why is it taking so long when a product rolls off of line A to get to the loading dock? And then when you look at the physical proximity, Further away. It's further away. <laughs> um, and, and that makes sense. But if it's the line that you're producing the most of. Yeah, maybe reconfigure re- right. closer. <laughs> right. So, I mean, and it, it's really like the answers and solutions of what you're actually doing are very, very common sense. Right. But without seeing it either graphed or charted or mm-hmm. in numbers, you don't know. Yeah. 
Um, so that's really all we're talking about when we're talking about smart manufacturing. Um, I think you know people make it out to be bigger than it is. Oh, it's smart manufacturing. You know, uh, you don't <laughs> have to. Sense. Yeah, it's, sense manufacturing. Yeah, it, it, you don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be an IT professional. Um, I mean, Henry Ford was doing smart manufacturing. Right. Like in the, in the 1930s. That's what smart manufacturing was. He found a better way to do it, to be more efficient, to save more money. Um, and and it worked out pretty well for him. <laughs> um, so I don't want anybody to be overwhelmed. I don't want people to think that the podcast is, you know, when we talk about all of these technology and innovation related type things, we're talking to everybody. It's not right. just the big companies that are out there. Um, you know, we, we, we live in Tyler, Texas, Rose Capital of Texas. Um, we have a, a customer um, that produces, um, I mean, they're, they're a florist. They, they grow roses. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. We looked at a system for them to simply trim the ends of the roses off mm-hmm. um, in an automated way to where they can have more throughput. And it, to be honest with you, to look at, you know, it wasn't built by an engineer or designed by an engineer in a process uh, group, but it's like a giant table saw <laughs> is really what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it has certain specifications where it can meet how things are coming in and where right. it cuts and what have you. Um, it wasn't some like, you know, like rocket ship thing, you yeah. know, that nobody had ever seen. Right. It's actually pretty simple. They made it safe, uh, and they, you know, saw where the throughput could be increased, mm-hmm. uh, probably two or three times of what they're currently doing without any additional people. Right. So, if you are a small business, again, what we're talking about here is just can we make the process better than it was yesterday? Right. And uh, that's really all smart manufacturing is. All right, guys, that's all we have time for today. We appreciate you joining us. Um, again, you know, give us a like on uh, Apple, uh, Google Play, um, SoundCloud, um, any of the other you know podcast uh, tools that you're using out there to listen. Um, we really appreciate it. Drop us a line at uh, marketing at lifttrucksupplyinc.com. We'll answer any questions you have. Um, we're gonna drink some more wine. You guys have a great day. Bye, y'all.